Hello and welcome to Breaking Ground, Eisner Ampered podcast focused on the real estate market. I'm Avi Jacob, Compliance Tax Manager in Eisner Ampered Real Estate Service Group, and I'm joined again today by Terry Johnson, who partners with Eisner Amper on our cost segregation and energy programs. Avi, you know, as we continue our series on cost segregation, today is going to be a good day because we're just we're talking about bonus depreciation, its evolution and how to navigate bonus depreciation in the changing landscape. So let's get started. All right. So, you know, one of the big impacts on bonus depreciation was, you know, in 2017, the Tax Cut and Jobs Act really changed how we defined what is eligible for bonus depreciation. So, Terry, why don't you kick us off on uh, going into some detail on that? Well, I remember that day, Avi, when we read that under the the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, that bonus depreciation was going to be extended from Q4 of 2017 all the way to the end of 2026. And I think it was by far the longest period of time that we saw where we knew bonus was going to be in effect. And what that has what has happened over time is that developers and anyone dealing with real estate has really been able to plan the bonus depreciation into their projects. So I think that in in itself from a high level standpoint was huge. And then obviously the second big thing was we were never able to take bonus depreciation on acquisitions. So all of a sudden you you know in the past you'd have an acquisition and you'd have no bonus. But if you had new construction or renovation you could take bonus. And the bonus would be on anything that you accelerated into a life of five, seven, 15 years for five and seven for personal property, 15 years for land improvements. And there's also now the category for qualified improvement property. So now you can take, use accelerated depreciation on an acquired property, which was kind of mind boggling, I think, to all of us in the industry when it came out. And it, I think one of the biggest impacts of that is we've seen a lot of smaller developers and, and investors get into the market, acquiring properties, maybe fixing them up. For example, single family homes or, you know, Airbnb type properties. So it's opened up almost a whole new investor market that where they could take advantage of this bonus depreciation. All right. So, Terry, you know, the bonus rates really changed at the end of September 2017. And, um, you know, the first few years we had a 100 percent bonus. And you mentioned earlier the idea of mapping out what comes out to about 10 years of bonus eligible property. How does the rate change throughout the years? Like did the rate change year over year? Can you expand on that? Sure. So what we saw basically from the end of September of 2017 through the end of 2022 we were at 100% bonus, which meant if you were accelerating out of either 27 and a half year or 39 year property into five or seven for personal property, 15 year for land improvements or QIP, you could take all of that 100% bonus depreciation from the end of 2017 through the end of 2022. Then starting on January 1st of 23, you see a step down of 20% a year through the end of 2026. So in 2023, we're at 80% bonus. In 2024, it goes down to 60 and then 40, and then you end up with 20 in the end of 2026. This is really has a huge impact on our projects because especially where you have multi-phase projects that are 
brought online over time. You can really plan out what that bonus depreciation is going to look like. Okay. And then, you know, as we reach the client, I know a lot of our clients have been asking us, you know, are these, is cost segregation even worthwhile? And, you know, I always have to remind them for years, bonus wasn't even a factor for acquisitions. And also for even the renovations, I believe it was only at 50% for some of those projects. So, you know, bonus wasn't always a factor. It's just been a nice, sweet gift that we've been, you know, getting over the last few years. But before that, you know, we really didn't take bonus into into consideration. And yet we still were able to do cost segregation. You know, it might limit some of the properties that, you know, we decide are feasible and the projects that are feasible. So some of the smaller projects might lose some viability, but we still have a few years till that really happens. But and we might have to go back to the old rule of thumb with properties of depreciable basis of excess of two million dollars are generally viable. But, you know, I still think we should be, you know, we still should evaluate the various projects because a lot of these smaller projects still have significant amounts that can be accelerated and therefore, you know, they still might be viable projects. So and then in addition to that, we also have many states already are decoupling from bonus. So in some ways, it might even be easier to map out what the state tax liabilities will be as bonus starts to phase out, we might get a little bit more normalization between, you know, the federal and the state impacts of cost segregation and the way how bonus interplays. So, you know, in terms of the practical steps that taxpayers can, you know, take in terms of getting best possible bonus rates, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think it's a huge planning opportunity. Uh, you know, we see a lot of uh, acquisitions that are happening towards your end, renovations wrapping up, new construction projects wrapping up. And I know, Avi, you and I both are when we're talking to clients and we know they've got projects on that they're working on, either acquiring, renovating, or new construction, having that conversation with the client to make sure they're talking to their team about the importance of wrapping up those projects by year end. Because literally, if let's say you, instead of wrapping up by the end of the year, you go into January, you're losing 20% of bonus right now. So that can have an impact. So the planning is really important. And it's not just talking to the, to the client. The client then needs to talk to their team or the contractors that are involved in that project, making sure that they understand that there's a big impact if this project gets moved into the next year. Or let's say a closing doesn't happen until January. So there's a flurry of activity trying to get that done. And I mean, one of the questions we get a lot, Avi, is, you know, what is when do you place a project in service? Is it when you have a, a certificate of occupancy or a temporary certificate of occupancy? So, you know, there is a, an, a case the IRS has that is the Stein case that says when that project is basically ready to receive tenants, you can place that into service. And sometimes... That project is ready, but for whatever reason, the owner decides to hold off maybe bringing a tenant in, say, until January. But if it's ready, even if you have a, a temporary certificate of occupancy, you can place that project into service. So you want to also just be cognizant of those items, too, of whether or not you've got a CO or a TCO and, and making sure your contractor understands what you're trying to achieve and maybe even talking to the folks that are doing the inspections and under, so that they understand why 
you need to get this wrapped up and get those certificates by the end of the year. Yeah. And it, just to expand on that, it's also, you know, bonus is dictated by the year placed in service, not the year that the deduction is taken. So even if you aren't fully ready for the cost seg at the end of the year, but you have your certificate of occupancy and, you know, or if you do your acquisition, even doing the acquisition at the year end, even if you don't think you're going to need it in that year, because you're worried about the idea of, you know, to buy a property on December 30th, you know, I'm not going to have any gains anyway that year. You could still take advantage of a look back study the following year and get that bonus rate from the year of acquisition and just lump it into that 3115 and that 481A, you know, deduction that you catch up. So that that also comes into play because it's, you don't have to worry as the um, as the purchaser of the property. You don't have to worry so much about what is my income stream that year to take advantage of that depreciation. It's more about getting that de- depreciable asset in service during that year. So that way you could take advantage of that, even if it's in a follow-up year. So, Robbie, let's change gears for a minute. And I'm curious what you think about, um, you know, in light of this bonus stepping down 20% a year, do you think that some clients will take more advantage of the 179 expensing for trader businesses? What are your thoughts on that? So, you know, generally we don't see so many clients taking the 179 because you have the issues of, you know, firstly, residential is not qualified. It's only for commercial. Um, You have the phase outs that happen. And then the idea of the issue of whether or not the business is really a trader business versus, you know, just a passive activity. So we don't really run into 179 too often, but it's definitely something that will need to be considered whether or not it makes sense to take some of the some of the assets at 179. So for example, some of the assets that can be qualified for 179 that don't get qualified for bonus like roofing, that might be something that gets considered now as well because maybe it makes sense to take some additional deductions with those 179 eligible assets. But again, I still think bonus or just accelerated depreciation really are going to dictate the next, you know, the next few years of what clients are taking advantage of. So, Avi, I'm going to ask you to get your crystal ball out and tell us about your thoughts on the chance of any legislation that would potentially extend bonus or bring back 100% bonus in the near future. I know I get asked this a lot, so I'm curious what what your answer to that is. So, you know, bonus is always changing and it's all based on whether or not, you know, how the economy is doing, what the government feels would stimulate the economy. Um, To say that bonus is just going to disappear in 2027, I don't think it's going to be the last we hear bonus because it keeps popping back up year over year. And, you know, once whenever it's about to phase out, there seems to be some sort of extension but we can't really predict it at this point. It really depends on what's going on in the overall economy. With the interest rates going up, there's a chance that it might, you know, might get some favorable judgment. But for now, I think the best practice really is to just use the information we know, plan according to the information that we know, and be hopeful for the future. So uh, with that, thank you so much, Terry, today for uh, giving us some of your time. And thank you all for listening to The Breaking Ground as part of the Eisner Amper podcast series. And we look forward to speaking to you again shortly. <laughs>